Hi everyone, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya and this is episode number 90. My guest today is Adem Kiramovsky, aka Adem K from the Perth band Turnstile. I call them ads because I've known him for more than 20 years. Uh, you know, sometimes it's really tricky interviewing friends because it's hard not to go, hey, remember when we did this thing or remember that funny thing that happened? <laughs> so I tried really hard not to do that. And I think we did a pretty good job. Uh, Turnstile have a new album out called Citizen's Handbook. You should go check it out immediately. It's an excellent listen. Adem's very awkward and cringy story was illustrated by PJ, who plays in Turnstile. I love it when it's kept in the family, and this is such a cool pick. Thank you so much, PJ. All illustrations, as always, can be seen on the Instagram uh, Hearsay page, which is at Hearsay Podcast, or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Please subscribe and leave me a comment on iTunes. It helps people be able to find the pod. And thank you again so much for listening. That's absolutely the most important thing. Here we go. Episode number 90 with my dear friend, Adem Kiramovsky. How are you going? I'm I'm doing well, thanks. It's so nice to talk to you. It's been forever. It has, and it's it's lovely to be on your on your show. And I do listen to your show, Aww. and um, it's it's an honour to be be on it. Oh well, I it's my honour because I should say you and I have known each other for twenty five years or something. Yes, we met at the Glenworth Valley Weekender. That's right. What are your memories of the Glenworth Valley Weekender Festival? Going to try and meet Dave Grohl. <laughs> Did it work? Did you meet him? Yeah. So what what happened, right, was um, we we only we weren't on the same stage as the Foo Fighters and Offspring and that. We weren't on that stage. We were on the same stage as Seconden. That's right. Which was that sort of side stage. <laughs> and um, but I knew the guys from Mac Pelican. Who were we befriended, you know, over the years yeah. since about '97 when they moved to Perth, and so I ran into them just walking around, and they said, "Oh, you know, we we're talking about the Foo Fighters," and I said, "Oh, I can't. My pass doesn't let me in there." And they said, "Well, we'll lend you our pass if you want to go." You and uh, I was with Dean, uh, the drummer of Turnstile, and they said, "Oh, if you want to go in, you can have our pass." So we we took their passes. And we, we walked in and we went through the little backstage bit. Let's meet Dave Grohl. And then um, we walked in. And it was like in the movies when you walk into a place and, and the record player goes, Zip, <laughs> and the music stops. And everyone turned around. And he was at this round table like fucking King Arthur. Wow. And he was, he was at the end holding court. And there was all these girls around this table. Wow. And there was booze on the table and food and stuff. And... Um, he was in his uh, sort of shorter hair, uh, uh, goatee with all the denim, yeah, uh, color in the shape era. Um, <laughs> sounds like I know what I'm talking about, but that's the only <laughs> album I know, and the first one. <laughs> and um, and he was like, "Hi guys," and we were like, oh, "Hi," you know. And um, he was like, "What do you need?" 
and we and uh, we were just like, I don't think any of us said anything. He said, "Well, he goes, do you want a beer? Do you want what do you want? What are you here for? Beer, girls? What do you what do you want?" Wow, what did you say? <laughs> and we were like, "Oh no, we just came to say hi." And he goes, "Oh, cool. Okay, well, hi." And we were like, "Hi, um, bye." <laughs> and we just like walked out. Total orcs, you know, totally, uh, totally awkward. Really, yeah, real. Not like fan moment because we weren't huge fans, but it was just like we have to meet Dave. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, that's your main memory. (laughs) Yeah, and also we thought we saw a UFO with um, a couple of the Eskimo Joe guys. (laughs) I feel like you should have led with the UFO story rather than the Dave Kroll story. (laughs) Tell me about the UFO story. (laughs) Just a. A light in the sky that didn't didn't look like an aeroplane, you know. Well, that's pretty cool. I've always been into that alien stuff, you know, yeah. um, not taking it seriously. So, sure. for me, it was like, oh. I love that. You know, my main memory of that festival is obviously um, meeting a lot of friends that would be lifelong friends, like you guys and Eskimo mm. Joe and... Um, you know, seventy eight Saab, a bunch of a bunch of bands that were around at the time, and um, but also I remember meeting Dave Grohl, <laughs> which is so really you got funny. to meet him. Well, right. you know what? Because the festival is organised by Steve Pav, and we were either being wooed to be signed to Modular at the time, or just signed to Modular. Um, we a got to play twice on the festival on two of the days, and b we got access all areas passes uh. and um and so and he was sort of like introducing us to people so i got introduced to dave and i remember having a lengthy conversation with him and the main thing i noted was that he said the word bitchin a lot oh right very um <laughs> that's my main memory <laughs> yeah very west coast but yeah. um yeah we played twice as well that was quite a quite an honor yeah right it yeah. i did feel like an honor didn't it yeah it it I don't know if it did that well, but it was. I didn't really care about that. It was such a such a cool. It was our first big thing. This is before we did the big day out. So for us, this was pretty major. And the fact that it was uh, on the other side of the country was was huge. Yeah, I feel the same way. I felt like it was one of our first ever festivals, and it was really exciting. And you know, when I look back, I've still got some photos from that little tour. We all look like such babies. Oh, bet. But I felt like I wasn't a baby. I still remember feeling like a real grown-up, but then when I look back at photos, I'm like 90s hair, plastic pearls, and, <laughs> you know, flared corduroy pants. <laughs> I remember, were you wearing like silver boots or something? That's what I remember. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, silver boots. Yeah, pretty 90s vibes. Well, the thing was, because the guys from Eskimo Joe had sp- had said, have you heard this band, Seconder? They're like a faster version of the Rentals, is what someone said to me. Ah, oh, that's so nice. we were keen to like, and obviously back then you couldn't, I couldn't just go and listen to your stuff, you know, and I couldn't find your stuff in the shop. So it was a, obviously a couple of months later we got to see you play. So um, that was kind of cool. That's so nice, isn't it? Yeah, I'm very aware of the fact that this might be um, like a trip down memory lane kind of chat, but. Turnstile and Sekiden had a really beautiful sort of brother-sisterly sort of relationship in my mind where, you know, I, I feel like you guys were the first people to really to really put us up in Perth. We always stayed at your house when we came to Perth. Yeah. Um, 
you know, immediately, even when we had only met once, you were like, yeah, come and stay with us and come and play with us. And, you know, we shared so many things and so many beautiful times. And I always think back on that time so fondly. And, you know, for real, we've stayed friends the whole time. And you came to my wedding. It's truly like a beautiful long-term friendship. That's really sweet. And that's, yeah, it's 100% true. You know, talking about um, these old times, um, you have played in this band turnstile for a really long time. I mean, I've, I don't know, your first record came out. I should have done research about this, but I'm going to say the record that I remember came out in like 1999. Turnstile Country was a really big deal. You know, it was a time on the radio where weird songs could still chart and weird songs were celebrated. And I remember just, yeah, being immediately enamored by your whole weird vibe. In a, in a good way. That's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it was that. We were actually turned down by Sony for very pretty much being a bit too um, a too weird and too... Really? ...schizophrenic in, you know, one minute we're doing a, you know, a, like a power pop song, which would be like, oh, my God, you know, and then the next minute, you know, we've got the Casio on full rhythm, <laughs> you know, yeah. with, a distort, with a distorted bass and... You know, and, and a fake kick drum, you know, and so I, I don't, yeah, I mean, that's not a slight against them. They obviously, they've got to make money and, and stuff. So, um, but. Well, they blew it. They fucking blew it. They blew it. But yeah, so, I mean, that was our first record, but we'd essentially, we'd been Turnstile since 95. Right. Yeah. Um, did you release stuff before Turnstile Country? Yeah. So we did a cassette in Perth um, in 97, in early 97. And it was recorded in 96, and it was released in early 97, and then we did a CD with Shock Records, so we had a very... And that's where we met Aaron Kernow. He was working at Shock, and then he From started... Spunk Records. Then yeah. he, that's right, and then he started his own label, Spunk, and um, he always said to us, oh, I'm, starting, I'm thinking of starting my own label, so if you have any new stuff, send it to me. So that's how that relationship started. Right, amazing. Yeah. And then you put out a few records through Spunk. Then we did country and we did um, like a uh, a compilation record of all of our Perth stuff that never basically the two the two things I've mentioned to you um, we put those out in a little comp and then we did the second album yeah right with them and that that was that was it and then a, then you know a year less than six months after that we were we were went on our um what what's now considered a hiatus not a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get to that later. Yeah. But what I, I really love is that I can't imagine playing in the band Sekiden now. You know, it, it feels like such a lifetime ago. But you guys have just released a new record called Citizen's Handbook, which is not, I mean, I feel like it's almost like a return to what you used to sound like. A lot of things have changed, but many things haven't changed. How do you feel about like, that journey of the band. Yeah, so we've, I mean, we've done three records now since we got back together in 2013. Um, this one is, I call this one the baby country. So it is like a little baby yeah. turnstile country. It's only 10 songs as opposed to 16. But for me, it's like a little turnstile country where it it has, it's not kind of uh, thematic or it's, it's all over the place a little bit, even within the 10 songs. So, uh, yeah, whereas, I love that the records we did before that our records have always been a little bit over the place because we don't have a overarching concept or anything but i must say the first two that we did when we got back together were 
I don't want to say samey. The first one was a little bit like that. Um, my favourite record is actually the one, the second one we've we've done since we got back together, which is called Happy Factories. That one is just a lot more. I don't know how to say musical, but it's um, I don't know. There's just a sweet spot, I guess. Everyone yeah. had good, everyone in the band had material and good material. So yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's the same but different. You know, like I never thought of us as this, and especially even when I look back on it now. When people go, oh, that's so nineties, or that's so, I I still don't listen to I I don't listen to my old stuff that much, but um, mm. even country I don't think of as like a nineties thing. There's aspects of it, but um, I think it's just a continuation. I, I guess what it is, what I'm trying to say is I don't think about it. It's just what comes out, and if it's yeah. same samey to some people, then cool. If it's different to others, um, for me, it's just um, it's just doing it you know is the most important thing yeah why not like that's gonna it's gonna get you through life it's gonna get you through you know all of the the ups and downs of whatever family yeah. life work life um you know it's nice to have a little outlet but what i i re- have always really loved about turnstile is i've always been drawn i know you have as well drawn to bands like um that are a bit kind of eclectic in terms of style like pavement or beck or ween or you know, those kinds of bands yeah. that could really do anything and it wouldn't be a surprise. I've always felt a little bit like that about Turnstile where, you know, if you'd made a hard rock record with a tiny bit of keyboard, I would be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Or, if you know, if you'd done like a really slow, like jangly guitar record, which you kind of have done, I'd be like, yeah, cool. You know, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. I'd be surprised. Yeah, no. And, and, and we've, I guess our minds have opened a little bit since then. So, um you know, often at rehearsals or recording, if we just after a, a session or whatever, we might just chill out. You know, we'll listen to the Pointer Sisters or yeah, or the Go Go's or you know, um, you know, or my favourite song of all time, which is Rasputin by Boney M. Oh, um, I fucking love that song. Oh, I love it's it. So good. You know what my second favourite song is? What's your second fave? Nasty Girl by Vanity Six. <laughs> Oh. I really love that you've got like your two top faves stored away in your mind to bring out. I would find it really <laughs> difficult. Yeah, it's not pavement, you know what I mean? Like, but um, as we've um, gotten older and stuff, we yeah, there's we're a bit more open minded with with the influences now. Like, I used to be like, oh, I hate eighties, I fucking hate eighties, but you know, um, PJ loves eighties, so and he's mm. played a lot of stuff to me over the years. Um, so that's probably the big difference is that we're a little bit more open-minded as as to the influences, and we might um, we might apply those influences, but they don't they won't sound like that. It'll always sound like us. Yeah. 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 yeah of course. Do you know? I can tell you my two favorite Turnstile songs. Oh yeah. I always really loved "Sad Rambo," which is is that just a B side? I feel like that it was a, a song that I got on a CD that had two songs on it when I was you know visiting back in the early 2000s well i have some trivia for you yes that song and and that release that you're talking about was a little ep we made before on pretty much to sell at our last show uh, before our hiatus right and if i second and played right second and played that last show but not only that second and sat around my kitchen table and glued all those (laughs) covers together That's why I like it. Yeah. I must have heard it a bunch. Yeah. 
So I had an eight-track reel-to-reel um, recorder that I was borrowing off someone, and I recorded a whole bunch of songs on it because I knew. Um, I said, "Oh, we should make something up to to give to sell at the last show." So um, we had this song, "Sad Rambo," but we hadn't finished it, so uh, we recorded that. So we recorded that with one of those little Casio sampling keyboards, and then we yeah, used right. then we used the original drum beat from the Rambo Commodore sixty four game as well so there's a little guy that talks in the middle of it right oh yeah no that's from um that's from a a, a tv show called uh i think it's called ufo oh <laughs> and and the and there's a breakdown and the 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 the, the um the actress in it says this is going to be for real that's it and <laughs> that is actually gabriel drake who's nick drake's sister what Wow! Yeah, she was in a show called UFO. She had this little um, like purple bob wig on, and yeah, that's Nick Drake's sister. So that's a sample of, right. of her saying, "This is going to be for real." Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And God, that's a lot of sad Rambo trivia. Way more than I thought that I was going to get. My other favorite Turnstile song is "World Famous in Perth," oh, which yeah. is like such a beautiful sort of jangly guitar song, and a bit, I'd say, quite different to Sad Rambo. Yeah. Any trivia about that one? Yeah, that's um, musically Dean wrote that. So he actually plays he plays guitar and I play drums. Really? Well, that's a cool bit of trivia. Sing it, yeah. And that's actually not out um, in the digital world. That album is actually not out. It's coming out next oh. year because we we're actually reworking it a little bit because we weren't happy with it. Okay. Mm. Well, that's some good trivia. If you want the last little bit of trivia about that is yes, um, please. Uh, in New Zealand, they have a drink called LNP, and it says "World Famous in New Zealand" at the bottom. So that's where I got that from. Ah, interesting. And then my favourite song off the new record, which we should talk about a little bit, which yeah. you've just released this year. I think East Twenty First Street is a beautiful song. That's um, my favourite. And something that it made me think about when I was listening to it for the first time is, I feel like you guys have always been. So good. And I think this was maybe something that really connected Turnstile and Sekidan as well, is that to, to write a simple sounding melody that sort of warms your heart over the chords that the melody is sung over or that the, the keyboard line is played over, I feel like you guys are so good at that. And people often said that about Sekidan as well, like that, you know, that the simple melodies are hard to come up with. Especially after a long time. Yeah, it's kind of got an emotion attached to it. And obviously, uh, second and very much um, as well, despite what people might think that sometimes pop music or indie pop or whatever can be throwaway or just, you know, anthemic and nothing to it. Um, no, we've mm. definitely been into that kind of slightly melancholy um, uh, melody. And that one is very much like that. And it's quite beautiful the way that song came about because i i recorded that song by myself i started it by myself when i had covid oh wow this was back when you isolated you know it's not a big yeah. deal anymore but like so what i did was i didn't want to infect my family so i came up to the studio and i slept up here and ate up here and did everything up here so oh, I, wow and for a couple of days i felt pretty good so i thought well i'm going to start recording so that's how that song came about um i had a few lyrics and then the other guys I was stumped for what else to write about. And then Todd said to me, you know what? This sounds like a, a story of a guy like in a city. This is before we even had the title. And he said, it sort of sounds like maybe someone in a gang or something 
telling a story and, and, and or there's a, he said there's a there's almost like a Brooklyn sort of whimsy to it. Um and Todd's very tuned to that um sort of thing. And so we all worked on it together and we really got into this gang thing, but it's not about being tough, it was just about, well, this is my lot in life. Um and these are the things I'm seeing. So it's mm. I mean, like most turnstile songs, it's kind of ambiguous, but um I, I, it's my favourite one. Speaking about recording, so you obviously produced and recorded it at home. Yeah. And you've talked in, uh, you know, in your bio and stuff, you say that you sort of almost went lo-fi recording um, on purpose just to sort of get it done quicker. Because yeah. I feel like quite often when I'm producing in the studio, I'm very impatient I just want, like, as soon as I write a song, I want to record the song and I want it to record it now and I want to sing it now and I want everything now, now, now. Me too. Yeah? Is that what makes you just not think about production too much? You just go, just get it down? Well, I sort of trust the fact I've had sort of the same gear now for a few years. Yeah. So um, I kind of know that if I plug this mic into this pre, I'm going to get this sound. So it's not overly thought of... um, yeah, so I'm just like, okay, we're doing vocals, so or um, I'm recording a guitar, so I've got my favourite ribbon microphone that I like to put on guitar. So that's just it. Just goes on. I get the sound I want, and then we press record. So that's as immediate as I get, and that's just through familiarity of of the gear. Yeah. Yeah. Have you done much experimentation with as far as production goes? You know, if, I I find myself sometimes I'll watch something on. You know, like a documentary about. Oh, I'm going to try and do that. Do you ever uh, do that? A little bit. Um, I saw a video on um how the Beatles recorded the bass on uh, Paperback Writer. So I tried to, with what I had, I tried to emulate a similar thing. But yeah, not not really. Um, the experimenting is generally comes a bit later. Um, I was supposed to experiment in the in the way that we might try something that we we weren't planning on doing. That's about as far as we would get. We're not hugely experimental because I'm usually I'm I'm more fanatical about music than being a musician. So, um for me it's just like I want to chase that keyboard sound that's on Lady Tron by Roxy Music. Yeah. So, I'll I'll put it through something and I'll wobble it. That's that's good enough. You know, that's kind yeah. of the, that's the extent of I guess my experimentation. Yeah. That's cool though. I think mimicking something else is a really good way to learn about stuff. Oh, absolutely. My whole thing is mimicking, but it's never going to come out like a ripoff because it's not sounding too full of myself. I, I might just have too much of my own stamp on what I do for it yeah. to, to be um, a, a pastiche. I think that's cool. And I yeah, I think everything you do, because you've obviously done – You've you've been involved in other projects like the Burton Cool Suit and the Community Chest, and yeah. it's it very much sounds like you. Like I'd say, everything you can tell is ads. I always like the fact that it sounds like you. You know, yeah. Burton Cool Suit was probably the one that was like me, but not like me in a way because I was yeah. kind of, and I don't want to shit on the band, but I was kind of appeasing. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of appeasing a couple people in the band who you know, wished it was 1966, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I was also on a trip where I was like into the Nuggets stuff at that point. I was never into 60s music before that, so other than Pet Sounds. So Yeah. Um, well, there's definitely some Pet Sounds on there Yeah. in that band. Yeah, and I love Smile as well, but that stuff, you, you can't emulate that. That's just like, 
That's another yeah, level. Witchcraft. Yeah, that's it's magic. That's witchcraft, all right. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about being in a music scene. You know, you're almost working in an outpost uh, in Perth. And I, I quite often feel the same about Brisbane, especially when we were touring a bunch. You feel like you're really going into another world when you're traveling to Sydney and Melbourne. I just always felt like Perth and Brisbane are sister cities in a way, in, in the way that the music yeah. scene worked. I, I agree. Even the style of music, and you'll probably find a lot of the biggest fans of, of music from Brisbane from you know 1989 to now or even just maybe a bit earlier um yeah the the proponents and the fans are a lot of them are from from perth but it's hard to tell now because the world's smaller you know um but i can only speak from the experience i had when um the world we were more distanced um yeah yeah but i I definitely felt an affinity with brisbane and i still do to the point where you know um our drummer lives in brisbane right so Dean lives in Brisbane. So I mean, we're one of the things I want to do before we wind this up, uh, this this band, which you know, I can't see happening, you know, in the near future. But I'd love to come to Brisbane and play in what is now his hometown. Um, yes. So yeah, you gotta. Even if we just came to Brisbane and and we didn't go to Sydney or Melbourne, it would be totally fine with me. Although you know, I've got friends everywhere, particularly Melbourne as well. But um, yeah, no, I've definitely feel like that and and back then um if you looked at our sales um uh, it was always perth first brisbane second yeah right that's so interesting yeah because when we were probably at our peak and touring a lot um melbourne was in the midst of this sort of um post-rock thing yeah and uh, spunk records was putting out a lot of that stuff so we would often get um, build with these other bands. So, you know, we'd, we'd look like the fucking banana splits, you know, compared to some of the <laughs> bands, you know, <laughs> that we'd be on bills with. Um, yeah. So um, I was dark on Melbourne for a long, for a long time. But... Um, well, what kind of bands were you playing with then? Um, bands like... And I'm not, they're not, I know they're not really post-rock, but we would play with bands like... Uh, I remember Jersey we played with. Oh, um, uh, yeah. And a few other sort of slower... More yeah, esoteric, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, 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 more dreamy sort of stuff. Where you know, yeah. So it's obviously no one's fault. It's just that that's the way it turned out. So we always had this um, slightly dim view of Melbourne um, because yeah. <laughs> we weren't as accepted there as maybe we were in Brisbane or Sydney, for that matter. You know, I I have the same memories of because Sekiden was obviously such a sort of energetic synth pop punky band. Um, and I'd say a lot of our songs were, you know, not particularly deep. Yeah, it's so funny to think back on those times of supporting those kinds of bands because we played a mm. lot with bands like, you know, that that were a lot more earnest than us. You almost feel like, especially if you're if you're supporting those bands, you're sort of a middle band. You almost feel like you're a complete palate cleanser before the before the Ernest band comes on. <laughs> That's how I felt a lot of the like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. I would sometimes feel like um, I would have, it's really horrible, but like I used to sometimes feel almost embarrassed for what we were doing. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah. Because I was like, well, maybe what I'm doing isn't cool or maybe what yeah. I'm doing isn't isn't deep enough or I remember some 
fucking jerk said um, in, in a review here in Perth said they're not um, intellectual enough to be um, like an esoteric band, but they're also not poppy enough to be a commercial band. Or it was some weird thing where he Bastard. said we weren't that or that. And yeah, and PJ and I and were you're reading like, it. Fuck you. I, I was just like, do you know what, dude? That sounds like your problem, not ours. You know. Yeah. But yeah, but I used to. But I used to. I used to feel quite embarrassed a little bit. I was like, oh, shit, you know, we're going to come up all... Um, so what we used to... What happened out of that, because that started in Perth as well, where we would play with bands like the Tucker Bees and Adam Said Galore and bands like that. Um, all great bands. Yeah, sometimes we'd even slow down our songs to fit in, which oh, is the wow. worst thing you can do. You should never change what you're yeah. doing to suit, no. you know. Um, but, you know, as time went on, you... And particularly now, like I, I'm just like fuck it. And but yeah, and but but also there's, you know, there's no criticism anymore anyway, um, because sometimes no. criticism can be good and it can it can help you, um, in some ways. Um, and the fact there's no criticism, or not as much now, or maybe that's on it's on Reddit or areas like yeah, that. Yeah, that's which, right. Yeah, which you, it's not as visible as street press and things like that. I mean. I don't know if that criticism in in that review that you guys were reading was particularly helpful, but it probably made you feel like, I'll show you, like the next show is going to be really great. Yeah, we used to sometimes do that. Um, Certain reviews that we got that might have been helpful. There was one review there, someone, basically someone criticised the singing. And I was just like, well, yeah, yeah, I need to work on, I need to work on that. I need to work on that. No, but I was it's like, it's so mean because it's so personal. Yeah, I need to work on that. And then, and there was another one that said we had a lot of songs that just used to trail out, like we didn't have proper endings or. Oh yeah. To try. <laughs> it was almost like a, you know a song that you would fade on a, on a recording or whatever. And then, and I kind of said, well, let's. Then we started trying to do more interesting endings based on that feedback. So oh, that's it, it, great. It can be quite good, you know. I would never be like up myself enough to to go, oh. No, that review, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong. What I'm doing is right. Um, sometimes they Oh, yeah, a, no, you don't want to be that kind of person. No, sometimes they have a point. Yeah. I know you have to pay for a review these days, don't you? You have to like pay, pay 100 bucks oh or something. Oh, my God. I mean, I feel like you and I could get really dark on what the music industry is like now, so let's not do that. I'll, I'll tell you something, though, say I could go equally positive as dark on how what music scene is like. Now. Oh, well, that's lovely. Yeah, I'm I'm not a 48 year old guy who's like, it was great then. It's all shit now. Neither am I, but I do find sometimes you know you it's easy to go to like, oh, this is how it used to be, and this is how it's now, and everything's harder. Or I feel old on social media, or I feel like yeah, things are harder, or things are it. You know, you're a bit of a piss in the ocean if you release a record now because there's so many people yep. recording stuff at home and. All of that stuff. But on the other hand, it's so great that it's so accessible. I sent a record out to Denmark like last week. Oh, that's great. And that's just one record to Denmark. That's one record to Denmark. And that's not Denmark in Western Australia. That's Denmark in Europe. Fuck yeah. Um, That's great. So, you know, for me, that's just like, that's one record. I think that's awesome. That's cool. I'm talking about it now. It's made my day, you know. Yes. But what I like about what's happening now is that you can package you can still package your your um your look you can still brand yourself mm. in a way that you want to be perceived like with your little you know with videos or yeah. images or um bios and stuff 
that are more widely seen and maybe people don't respond to them, but they still see them. That's true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of really great things about releasing records now as well. And I do feel, I actually do feel though, like way more proud that I've finished and released something this time around than I ever have before. And I think it's because it's harder to do stuff, you know, and everything takes a long time and everything uh, is different and you really have to make an effort. You know, I, I feel like, I don't know if you feel like this about Turnstile, but I feel like with Second and everything just felt so easy. Like one thing led to another thing led to another thing. And, um, you know, up until a certain yeah. point, I felt like we were really unstoppable. And then I... That is just not how it feels now to do anything. I feel like, you know, that probably happens to people now, but it certainly doesn't feel like everything is easy now to me as a solo artist. Yeah, 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 I agree. There's a certain amount of, like, feeling of accomplishment and and a lot of pride and gratitude and... Yeah, I think you appreciate it more. Yeah, I think I yeah. appreciate it a lot more now, yeah. Yeah, and, and probably, you know, when you in those days maybe when you were sort of riding a little bit of a wave there were people doing things for you or people yes. more people more people would come to you and that kind of stuff so that that's right yeah mm. so there's more yeah. of a, a feeling of which is a positive it's, there's more of a feeling of uh we're doing this ourselves now this is going back to how it was at the very start, like the DIY and... Yeah, that's right. I mean, you have your own record company, really, so you do all of that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So, because I, I loved Half a Cow. So, I would buy stuff on Half a Cow, even if I hadn't heard it. So, if I went to a record store and there was a Half a Cow release of a band I'd never heard of, I'll just buy it. Because you trusted Nick Dalton's taste. Yes, yeah. That's lovely. And so, when we started, I said, oh, we're going to... We should have um, this under our own label, like a, have our own. Just give it a name, you know. So we gave it a name, and then um, when it was time to license stuff to festivals, so Spunk didn't put everything out. Spunk didn't put out our singles, and they didn't put out our compilation album. They said, mm. "Well, you need a name to license to." So we dug up the igloo thing, and so everything was on igloo. And then, as it went on, I just used that name to put out anything that. I was associated with if it wasn't coming out through some other label. Yeah. Um, and then in the certainly in the last couple of years, yeah, I've I've thought of it as a um, a means of um, putting out records by people I know who are working on records who couldn't finish records, like friends, mm. um, and just trying to um, inspire my friends to to finish their stuff and say, "Hey, man, I've got I've got the means to put your record out." So finish it, let's get it done, and let, let's put it out. So that's been really helpful for a couple uh, people in particular who are real procrastinators or who are real um, doubters of their own um, ability. So I've yeah. done that with a couple of people. And then I've also just literally stumbled across things I've heard on public radio, um, and I've got in touch with them and put out seven inches and things like that. So um, Oh, that's so great. Yeah, but I'm going to give that a break because I, I need to get. I got to stop being label admin, and I want to spend the summer actually uh, writing and being creative. So I'm probably going to put a couple more things out this year, and then then that'll be it uh, for you know for a while. Yeah, well, that's awesome that you can do that and that you know how to do that. 
you know, put out people's records. That's quite an awesome thing to do. I've had to learn off people really how to do it um, properly, and I have a deal with um, a distributor, so that's been um, that's been much better than um, for me because they're they're people who I can literally call and talk to, and um, as opposed to maybe like a, a CD baby or a distro kid, where it's um, you know it's just it's quite faceless. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'm kind of very lucky that that I fell into that sort of thing but yeah but the label thing yeah I, I i love doing it and i love uh putting out records of people particularly those people who are having um struggles putting stuff out um uh, but it's very selfish as well because it's stuff that i want to hear yeah that's awesome um and it's often stuff that i've worked on as well so that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good to have an outlet you know it's yeah. so funny when you were saying you need to take a break from it i have this similar conundrum where i have so many sort of creative pursuits that I can only really concentrate on one at a time. You know, like I, I sew my felt instruments, which is very time consuming. I do music, which is very time consuming. Mm. I do podcast stuff, which is very time consuming. And then, you know, all the other stuff in my life. Um, and I feel like sometimes I really feel like I need to just concentrate on being a visual artist for a little while, or I need to concentrate on practicing piano or synthesizers for a little while just to feel a bit more like that part of my identity is looked after <laughs> for a little while. Yeah. Is that yeah, how absolutely. you feel? Absolutely. And that's that's what I'm that's my aim for the for the summer, really. You're gonna write some more songs. Yeah, just write and, and play. because uh, most of my songs come from play. So they come from I might hear something, um, or I might just come across something, a phrase, or I might play a phrase and that'll um start something. Um East 21st Street started with the drum beat on a 606 drum mm-hmm. machine um, and an organ. So, yeah, it, it'll be play. I, I've got a few songs in the can. Like, I've got a bunch of stuff on my phone, a bunch of stuff on the computer uh, That that's just really short things that need to be developed. So, um, I've got plenty of stuff. And the other guys all write as well in Turnstile. Mm. And um, I'm still doing the community chess stuff as well. And a couple of those guys are writing bits as well um because they can and also because i said well you can so you should you know Yeah, absolutely something that i really love about you is that you're kind of like the best person i know in perth and ever i feel like all of my friends know it and all of the uh tour promoters know it so you get to su- sort of support all of your favorite artists you know like you've got to support you know, Pavement or Steve Malcolmus and Guided by Voices and Letitia from Stereo Lab, and yeah. you've got to do like all of these really fun supports because everyone knows that you're the best person in Perth. Oh, I'm getting a bit, <laughs> a bit emotional like... just to hearing that. <laughs> That's my theory. I'm just, tr- I just, you know, I just try and be nice. You know, I, I just try to take. There's no reason for me to be egotistical. There really isn't. Um, and I give everyone. I try and give everyone. A chance, and you know, I'll definitely be telling you a, a story in a little while about <laughs> how I gave someone a chance. Didn't oh my quite god, work I can't out. wait! But um, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm just trying to be nice and helpful, and um, uh, you know, within my means. Yeah. Well, yeah. I always feel like everyone's like, "Oh yeah, I borrowed an amp off off ads, or I, you know, um, he supported me, or whatever." Like all of the people that you play with in Perth come to Brisbane and tell me. About 
about how how nice you were, and I always feel like really proud. That's great. <laughs> proud and you know, you're my friend. And you know, it's not. <laughs> thank you. And I mean, there's a part of it that you know, it's not the motivation, but you know, a lot of the time I've been very lucky in the sense that a lot of it's been reciprocated. You know, um, so that's that's really nice. It's not like I've just done these favors or help people and then I haven't got anything back it's almost always I've I've found that I've you know lucky for me I've picked you know some the right people the lovely people who have been who have helped me and you know like uh one of the main ones is um for me is tiny ruins um yeah right tell me about that relationship I don't know it must be 2010 or I don't remember it was around the time that you were doing your solo stuff over here but um yeah uh, Aaron from Spunk got in touch with me because she was signed to Spunk at the time, and um, he said, "Oh, she wants to come over and do do a show or two, and but she has no money." And I said, "Well, okay, can she stay with you?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." So she stayed here, and very much like the second and thing, um, she stayed here, and I organised a couple of small shows for her. Mm. Um, and so you know, the first show was maybe thirty people, and then she came back two years later. She did another record. Suddenly it was 60 people and then, you know, um, then it got a bit bigger for her where it, I wasn't necessarily required, but she'd always yeah. come to me and say, we need to hire some gear. I said, don't worry about it. Like you want a bass amp, you want a guitar amp, sorted, drums. Aww. So they would just, you know, they'd drive over, they'd pick up all the stuff, I'd go to the show and then, you know, quite often, more often than not, she'd say, do you want to open the show? Do you want to do like a yeah. little acoustic thing at the start? So that's been really lovely and... um so, and now, you know, and there's a friendship there as well. And I, of I love, course. yeah. And whilst that music doesn't reflect perhaps the sort of music I make, it's, for me, it's my second, other than Boney M and Vanity Six. <laughs> I love folk music. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so, um, did you know the first, have I ever told you the first time I ever pashed anyone was to Daddy Cool by Boney M? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> That's easily the best thing I've heard in the last four or five years. <laughs> I'm picturing so, it. I'm actually picturing it in my head. <laughs> Just a teenage sayer. Was it? Was it the chorus? Yeah. Well, oh. I, I mean, I definitely remember the "She's crazy like a fool" bit. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Which is quite embarrassing to think about pashing to that. <laughs> you were crazy. Yeah. And did you think to yourself that you were crazy like a fool? Yeah, I was like, yeah. they're talking about me. That's amazing. But yeah, so there's, you know, I try and be as nice as I can. Sorry, I ruined your story about being a nice guy by my daddy cool pashy story. <laughs> no, I don't care you're talking about Boney M, so as far as I'm concerned, that that's like precedence over everything. I fucking love Boney M. I really love Boney M too. But, you know, and the guy from Boney M, I forgot his name, he died in St. Petersburg. He died in Russia. Did he? Yeah, they did a concert in St. Petersburg and that's he died in the hotel that night. Oh, no. I don't know much about them, actually. How did he die? I think it was like a heart attack or something. I don't know. I'd imagine he was, obviously, I think he was in his 60s and, you know, probably lifestyle and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, how apt that he died in, in Russia. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you for another five hours, but I feel like I should probably ask you what your strange show experience is. Can you tell me what's your strangest show experience or the strangest thing that's happened to you because you play music? The doozy I can think of is, um, so it was kind of before Turnstile got 
kind of to the I guess the peak of of popularity or whatever. It would have been mm. around ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, I went to a party, and um, it was just a party and people chatting and stuff like that. And then someone said, "Oh, this guy he he sings in a you know he he does music." Mm-hmm. And so I was introduced to this guy, sort of long hair, tattoos and stuff. And um, I said, "Oh yeah." And he says, oh, what do you do? I said, oh, I play guitar and sing. He goes, oh, yeah. I said, what do you do? He goes, oh, I sing. I said, oh, do you play gigs? He goes, huh, do I play gigs? He goes, you don't know what gigs are, you know. Oh. Do you play Do you play gigs? And by which time I'd probably played about 50 or 60 gigs. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I play gigs. He goes, ah, you probably not a patch on, on the gigs I've done or the amount of gigs I've done. I play gigs, da 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 and he's oh. sort of big, big upping himself and stuff. And I was just kind of like, oh, I'm not going to. I was being polite, but I'm, I'm not going to say, well, in fact, I'm in, in this <laughs> band and I play gigs all the time. And, you know, uh, I've never heard of <laughs> I've you. I've written or, spray water on the stereo. Well, I, uh... <laughs> funny you should say that because it wasn't, it was pre-spray, right? Okay, pre-spray. So anyway, Got you. fast forward to post-spray, right? Okay. So, um some time had passed and then uh, spray water had come out and we were sort of um, obviously peaking there in as much as we could, you know, within our means of popularity. Triple J darlings. Yeah. yeah. And um, I was l- still living with my parents and um, I got a call um, from a guy and he said, I met you at a party a couple of years ago. Oh, weird. You, he called your you, parents' house? Yeah. Do you remember me? And I went, oh, I did, but I said, "Oh, no, not really." <laughs> and um, and he said, "Yeah, you're doing pretty well now, aren't you, mate?" And I went, "Oh, well, yeah." I said, "Well, every little step up is a is a bonus." So yeah, yeah. It's... He goes, "I tell you what," he goes, "I'm a songwriter. I've got some songs. Uh, would you like to come and hear my songs?" Oh no. And um, and I said, "Oh." Well, are they going to be the sort of songs I would like? Or he goes, well, he goes, well, let me put it this way: I'd like your band to be my backing band to record an app to record an album. <laughs> oh no! And, and he goes, I've got a full fledged studio in my in my parents' basement. I've got a full fledged studio. I've got all the gear. I've got all my songs. Do you want to come and have a listen? And I kind of thought, well, he goes, I can pay you. And I kind of thought. Oh, do you know, I don't mind if we have to slut for something, you know, maybe to pay for something, a tour or something. Sure. I'll at least go and listen, you know, and I was, <laughs> and I've always been like that. I've never, like I said, about giving people a chance and not being yeah. egotistical or whatever. So I said, sure. Fortunately, he was only a couple, a uh, few streets away from me. He was in the next suburb. So anyway, we have this arranged time. And oh so God, I, I'm so nervous listening to this. So I go to this, I'll try and tell it the best I can uh, with as much suspense as I can. And then, um, so I get to the front door and he opens the door and um, he lets me in. And as I'm walking next to him, I'm like, this guy reeks of booze. Uh-oh. He just reeked. Anyway, he goes, oh, let's go down. Anyway, we go downstairs into the basement and it's this huge empty room, this huge like million dollar house. Whoa. And it's this giant empty room with a keyboard like a workstation keyboard, the one where you put the disc in. Um, yeah. Big workstation keyboard and a carton of beer with some cans sort of spilled out of it, empty cans spilled out of it. 
And I said, oh, is this your studio? He goes, yep, mate, you wouldn't believe it. Only a couple of days ago, whole place ripped off. They came in and stole everything, which I don't think was true. I think he never had a studio. <laughs> and I yeah. said, because what they ripped off his whole studio but left his one keyboard in the middle of the room. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes... Yeah, you wouldn't believe it. They ripped off all my... St- I went, oh, that's unfortunate. Okay. And um, he <laughs> goes... so sweet. <laughs> that's unfortunate. Oh, I was just... Yeah, oh, I was just... I was so naive and sweet back yeah. then. I'm, I'm trying to be sweet. I'm trying not to be naive, <laughs> but I'm trying to still be sweet. And then um, and then he goes, would you like me to play some songs? And he had him on disc. So he had like the bad sort of MIDI drums and stuff um, and the bad backing tracks, and he was playing live piano. He was going to play the oh, piano. No. Anyway, he kicks in, and it's loud. I don't know if he had an amp. I don't remember, but it's really loud. And he's like bellowing out this like voice, which is actually technically a pretty good voice, but it was this like Michael Bolton sort of. Oh no! <laughs> meat meat loafy sort of like, and he's just sweating and he's reeking of booze. And he's <laughs> and he's just letting rip on this stuff. And I go to say something after the first song, and he goes, "Wait, wait, wait! I'll play you another song." And it's pretty much oh. the same thing again. And he's letting rip, and he's going crazy. And um, so he finishes up, and he goes, "So, what do you think?" And I said, "Oh, I said, oh, you're a really good singer." And he goes, "Oh, thanks." So, you know, and um, he says, "So, what do you think? Do you think you guys?" And I said, "You know, I said." I don't think we'd be the right kind of band for this type of music. Oh, I said, we can't so nice. really really do this sort of thing. I said, if <laughs> I was going to do these songs, I said, they'd, they'd sound different. They wouldn't be like the way you want to do them. He goes, hey, man, I'm open to ideas. I said, no, no. I said, we don't want to force this. I said, you want it to be natural and it's got to be natural. It's got to be something that, you know, I was just trying to talk my way out of this, yeah. you know, situation and I was being really polite. So anyway, I don't remember how it ended, but I obviously left. And the the, <laughs> the epilogue to this story is, um, it sort of stopped recently, but up until several years ago, this guy has trolled a lot of my stuff. No, what? Yeah, and like criticizing my singing and things like that. And he's the guy that criticized your singing. Yeah, like. How you? And I, I remember one YouTube comment was, "I can't." And it was all spelt wrong because he was probably drunk, oh, and no. um, and it was um, you know, how are you still getting away with this shit after all these years? Oh no! You hurt his feelings, and now he's like made it his life goal to hurt your feelings back. Yeah, I mean, it's it's stopped. What a it's stopped now, but I, I think you know he's it's gonna pick up again after this. I don't know. Well, I hope not. Hope he doesn't follow everything I do, but you know, there's obviously at the time there was obviously alcohol involved and things like that, and you know that sure. is a, that is an illness, you know, it's an addiction sure, sure, and stuff sure. like that. So yeah. I don't want to shit on it, but it is it is a, I still think it's a funny. I still think of it as a funny thing that me being in the ro- this room with this guy, you know, bellowing out power ballads, you know, yeah. um, that's probably. I mean, there's stage experiences as well, but for me, I wanted to think yeah. of I wanted to <laughs> think of something that was out of that box, you know. Yeah, that is a mortifying moment. I was going to make a joke before where uh, I was going to say, "Oh, you should have just gone like, oh, my friend Kev might do it." <laughs> <laughs> just giving him Eskimo Joe's number. 
um, but no, there's um, much like Brisbane, you know, there's these people that you would have similarly to what I have with Custard and Regurgitator and, and other bands from Brisbane that you would have with, you know, Eskimo Joe and Jebediah. And there's a lot of like that of that pop scene that was pretty cool in Australia. And Brisbane and Perth were big players in that vibe. Yeah. I mean, there's only a couple of couple of us left now, and um, they're on a different career trajectory. And I realised very early on that this wasn't going to be my career trajectory. It was just going to be something that I was going to keep doing. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and sometimes I don't know about you, but I sometimes forget why I do it. And then when you play with friends, you kind of go. Oh, that's why I do it. I love playing with friends or I love playing the synthesizer. It's so nice to remember why you do it. Yep, and that's exactly the same thing. All all your it's a cliche, but all your cares go out the window when you're in a room and everyone's plugged in and you're all playing at once. It's a pretty remarkable thing and it's a pretty beautiful thing to think that you're all doing something different, but it's creating one thing. Yeah. It's so lovely. Yeah, it's the best. I think it's nice to finish off on a note where we remember why we love playing music and remember that, you know, we wouldn't have met if it wasn't for music. There's so many people that are in our lives now that we would never have met if we didn't love music. There's very few friends I have who I didn't meet through music. Like every major person I know or communicate with um, on a daily or weekly basis is is music related. Yeah, I I really feel that too. It was just so nice to talk to you, Ads. Really, really lovely. And I hope we can do it again soon off mic. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.